Opening program parameters. Player code established. Welcome, Welcome. to the program. A production of TheMetalRobot.com Nobody cares about the robot gimmick! Just start the fucking show already! Ugh. Humans are determined assholes. This is the Metal Robot Podcast. Initializing playback. Welcome to MRP, the Metal Robot Podcast, a podcast about all things metal and everything in between. It's been a couple of days, and I know I'm still feeling the buzz from St. Paddy's Day, though I think for me it's just internal Scottish resentment that there's not an international William Wallace Day instead. My breath smells like haggis, and my blood tastes like freedom. Chug, chug, chug! Alas, maybe one day. In the meantime, though, we've got a great show for you today. Episode 22 of the show, to be exact. Dark Funeral released their new album, We Are the Apocalypse. We'll talk about that and other new releases. Then I sat down with JJ Tartaglia of Thunderer, Skullfist, and Opirus to talk about, well, that and 80s metal. Metal news of the week to follow and ending the show with a special project. 15 plus artists around the world gathering together to make some metal music. Guilherme Adriano, also known as the GJ, is the founder of this idea and I sit down with him to talk more about it. Let's not waste much more time, and let's get into the show. I'm Tom McKay, and this is the Metal Robot Podcast. You're listening to MRP, the Metal Robot Podcast. Welcome to the program, the Metal Robot Podcast. I'm your host, Tom McKay, and like I said in the beginning, St. Paddy's Day just passed by, and yet somehow I'm not reviewing any Irish bands this week. Nope. Who knows, maybe there's someone in any of these bands that are Irish, or just think that they're Irish because they tried green beer for the first time and didn't get the plague shortly after. But still, I'm sure some of these bands will intrigue you. Let's find out which ones. If you have any albums you want me to talk about on future episodes of the podcast, send me an email, tmckay at themetalrobot.com. That's T-M-C-K-A-Y at themetalrobot.com. Or you can reach out on socials, Facebook and Twitter at The Metal Robot, Instagram at the dot metal robot. Now, without further ado, let's take a look at what we've got. Do I even need an introduction here? I feel like Dark Funeral is one of those black metal bands that just need to be shown rather than talked about, much like Mayhem, Abath, and Ragnarok. But okay, fine, I'll do my job. Sometimes I wonder why you tolerate my laziness. We Are The Apocalypse, the brand new album from Swedish black metal band Dark Funeral, or as their website calls them, the ineffable kings of black metal. A bit much of the tooting one's horn, but who am I the judge? Not much is different about this album compared to the last album, Where Shadows Forever Reign, but this is the first album with new members Yalama on the drums and Adramelik on the bass. Great, so that means something probably changed, right? Actually, no. While I'm not the most familiar with Dark Funeral, I did do an A-B comparison of this album and the last album, and there really wasn't much of a noticeable difference. But production-wise, there's a noticeable difference. It's cleaner this time around. Now, I know how that sounds. No, I don't mean Heliamad finally got sprayed with holy water by the goody two-shoes neighbor kids. I mean, the production is more clear. It's more distinct. It's still some heavy black metal, but we're not in the old recorder cassette days. This is an album where the band got into the studio, laid down their tracks, and had the album mixed and mastered by professionals who I would argue actually don't usually deal with black metal this time out. And you know what? I'm okay with that. Yeah, I know, some will call blasphemy of the highest order for that, but listening to this album doesn't make me think that the dark Swedish lords are tainted with purity. 
it's still an evil-sounding album with very clear text and scripture. Take this lyric from When Our Vengeance Is Done, quote, we shall invoke the ancient raging evil. Come let us feast upon the priest and drink their holy blood. Doesn't exactly sound like Father Tim got a hold of Dark Funeral. Actually, that lyric sounds like it's the other way around. Well, how about this one? And when your wrists are open wide, you will lay your soul in a pitch black hole that's just as dark and cold as mine. Not exactly good old Sunday school values. So, calm down, black metal fans. Your spooky Swedish boys are fine. That being said, Time to speak to the heretics. If you're not a black metal fan, then this is just another black metal album. It's not bad, it's not god tier either. I do enjoy this quite a bit though, it's actually one of the few black metal albums I might return to so every so often. The thing about Swedish metal in general is that they know their way around hooks and melodies. Whether it's in the vocals, the guitars, or anything in general, the vast majority of Swedish metal I've heard has a great ear for melodic writing above just Here's a cool thing I did with the chugga chuggas. Let's use it 40 times and call it a song. But believe me, non-black metal fans are probably not going to be going super gaga over this. It's not going to be everyone's first choice, and I wouldn't even say this is a black metal album to get people into the black metal genre. Though I mean, it's probably a better starting point than A Blaze in the Northern Sky. No, shut up. You know I'm right. The soon-to-be-unholy aren't ready for that shit. Yet, just give it a sec, let the darkness crawl over them, and then get them on the hard stuff. But overall, We Are the Apocalypse, while not breaking any new ground, is a great black metal album from a great black metal band that black metal fans need to check out and aspiring black metal musicians need to take note of for songwriting and for production. As for non-black metal fans, if you want to take a stab at this one, then you'll be okay to do so. Just remember though, with a 13 out of 15, it might decide to stab back. Tech Death Metal with Hellbore, which is also the name given to the mole on my lower back. It won't stop growing, and soon it'll turn into my own personal scrad. Tell me something we don't know. Yeah, tell me something we don't. So sorry. Hellboard just released their new album, Panopticon, which is a 40-minute, technically proficient monster of an album. Front to back, the dynamic duo of Chris Whitby and Charlie Monroe unleash power and fury that feels unmatched in its intensity. Though there is something interesting about this album. This is the second release from them since 2019's Holy Sadist, which featured more of a thrash element to their death metal rather than the technical death metal that we're getting with Panopticon. Some of those traits are still here, but it looks like Hellboard dived headfirst into that modern metal pool like a kid getting pushed into a vat of acid. The new album also features one of the things that I love most about the tech death genre. When done right, every song can feel unique compared to the others on the album. Same thing happens here. The modern metal scream singing of Angel Slayer, for example, or the jazz break of Terrorize, the bass break and the big chord breakdown of Necrocracy. And those are a few examples of each element that rarely repeats themselves throughout the album. And that's what I love about this. It's an album that doesn't take too long to get its point across, but it also allows each song to have a unique identity to it that you can't get in any other song. 
And also, the three-track suite of Panopticon towards the end is also really great. It doesn't feel too dragged out, and it allows itself to set the tone and still give you a fucking gargantuan album in the process. I do think Panopticon 3 waited a bit longer than I would have liked to feature a top line of some kind, but it didn't detract too much from the rest of the suite, and even the rest of the album has more than made up for that little blight overall. So, overall, while I know Tech Death isn't for everyone, if you're thinking about flying into denser space, then Hellboy's got you covered. I think a solid 14 out of 15 is more than enough to get you into whatever this band has coming forth. So Grave Next Door's Sanctified Heathen. I got nothing. I got I I don't I don't have anything to offer here. I mean, it's okay, I guess, but that's not much of anything for a review. Let, let try, let's check it out here. It's an okay stoner metal album that's done okay with nothing truly offensive about it. Fucking I don't know what else to say here. Oh, you know what? There is one thing I can say about that here, and that is that the mix has betrayed this band. You were the chosen one! Again, compositionally, it's fine. There's nothing wrong with the writing on this album. Performance-wise, is fine as well, though I feel the vocals were more drowsy than they needed to be. Look, I know it's a stoner metal band, but that doesn't mean you need to play the part. But no, the real problem that I'm having here is with the mix. The guitars are extra fuzzy, which is great for stoner metal, but the bass is also really quiet to the point it can't be felt on the subwoofers or even really heard. The drums are getting hit hard, but they're either turned down in the mix or drowned out by the guitars. And the vocals? Well, actually, they're not doing so great anyways. You know what? Forget I said anything. But the bass and drums, I feel, were very important to try to keep loud enough to feel. And that, that is the big problem here. It's a stoner metal album that can't be felt. I can hear the music for however much I'm allowed to hear, but I can't feel it. And I know I sound like a 70s hippie stoned out of the fucking confines of this painted RV bus, but seriously, I may not be an expert on stoner metal, but I know at the very least that usually when you're in the mindset to feel the music, you usually want to feel it. Now I'm sure your response is, well, Tom, you're not stoned, so of course you're not going to feel it. I've been stoned for six days straight. Well, first of all, you might not want to admit that on a podcast. You don't know who will be listening. And second of all, even the most sober, twig-shaped bastard on the planet can feel the best stoner metal albums of all time as if they were stoned. So being sober is not really an excuse. And even if it was an excuse, the issue still presents itself that the music just exists. And that's it. Again, the mix betrays the music here. Listening through Sanctified Heathen, it felt more like a fuzzed-out background soundtrack with the recordings made from the police of a stoner in his living room. Which, by the way, that's your living room. You might want to double-check under the table. But if you like this album, then that's great. I don't blame you. Again, compositionally, it's fine. But with a 9 out of 15, you could do so much better in this genre. Oh, you like that? It's the sound of my cheese alarm. Haven't had the chance to use it before now, but Carmiria's Advene has made that so. Though I'm not gonna lie, I thought the first use of it would have been with a power metal album, not a symphonic goth album. And yet, it's setting it off. 
I think that may be because it's not the kind of gothic metal you'd expect. You heard it just now, it doesn't exactly scream Lacuna Coil or Paradise Lost. Advenate has turned up the theatrics big time, and I'm not entirely sure how to feel about it. I mean, I'm not against it, but I'm actually kind of enjoying this. The guitar riffs are interesting and not too intrusive, the drums are pretty basic, but I do enjoy the fills, the vocals are strong, giving me strong power metal vibes, which may have actually implanted the cheese, and the bass, while not doing too much outside the norm, has a nice clang to it, and I'm honestly happy that it can be heard. The synths and the orchestra are really the stars here though. That's where the majority of the cheese is actually coming from, but they're well composed and add quite a bit to the overall sound. It's just some good glittery goth metal. I don't think I have too many issues with this album. I mean, at over 60 minutes, it's a bit long and you do start to feel the clock ticking onward with every beat, but if you're into this style of gothic metal, then I don't think you'll have too many problems. But that's the thing. This style of gothic metal can be an acquired taste for some. I know I was a bit put off by the sound and I guarantee I'm not the only one. Like if this cheesy gothic glittery symphonic metal style that's all sunshine and rainbows in the middle of a storm cloud is something that you usually avoid like your in-laws, then you're looking at the wrong album. But with a 12.5 out of 15, you may sprinkle that parmesan all over my dinner. Keyword sprinkle. You have the full container, but do not dump it. And that's it for reviews. Like I said earlier, send your emails to tmckay at themetalrobot.com, that's T-M-C-K-A-Y at themetalrobot.com, or reach out on my socials for any albums you would like covered on the podcast or on the main YouTube show. Don't go anywhere, we'll be right back with JJ Tartaglia on the Metal Robot Podcast. With the sound design tricks used on the album, how did I not see Demon Trolls coming? A proper metal musician would have said, let's adapt Inferno, and then wrote 20 Metallica riffs, chugged 20 cans of blue ribbon, and passed out in his own vomit. I'm just gonna call it C-3PO and R2's Evening Getaway. Tom Ellis! Uh, wait. An effective way to have human interaction if you're an introvert. Hey, thanks for coming. How was the traffic? Signum Draconis' Inferno Review Part 2, only on Metal Robot Reviews. Metal addicts call it symbiosis between extreme metal and classical music. Cult Metal Flick says cinematic landscapes collide with atmosphere. Tom McKay says it's the reason my veins are filled with caffeine. Wait, what? I can't help it! I'd rather write awesome metal than sleep! Give me a fucking ambient, please! Call to the Demon Sultan is out now on all streaming platforms. And while you're at it, pick up some cool merch by going to metalrobotreviews.creatorspring.com or check the links in the podcast description. Stream now. You're listening to MRP, the Metal Robot Podcast. Welcome back into the show. Hope that little taste of 80s goodness got your metal blood pumping. Would you believe me if I told you that this wasn't made in the 80s or by an 80s band? I know, it sounds like I'm on drugs, but I'm not, I promise. No matter how much my ADHD wants it. <laughs> that was the sound of my first guest tonight on the podcast, JJ Tartaglia. He's mostly known for being the drummer of 80s-sounding heavy metal band Skullfist and symphonic metal band Opirus, the owner of Boonsdale Records out of Toronto, and recently, he's dived further down the 80s rabbit hole with his new project, Thunderer. Thunderer's debut album, Fire It Up, released last month on all streaming platforms and even had a review right here on the podcast. And I sat down with him last week to talk about Thunderer, Skullfist, Opirus, and his love of 80s metal, which, um, 
depending on the year you were born, could be a good thing or a bad thing. But anyways, here's the full interview. All right, JJ, how are we doing today? I'm doing awesome. Thanks That's for having good. me, Tom. Of course, I'm happy to, happy to. I mean, when I when I heard uh, the Thunder album, uh, Thunder's uh, album, Fire It Up, I was like, you know, I would love to talk to this guy just to pick his brain about this album. So thank you so <laughs> much for coming on the show. But uh, before we get started into Fire It Up, which came out February 25th, please give us a, a, just a brief history of this project, because this is not the first band that you've done. Uh, no, so Thunder is basically a, a new band that uh, we formed over the pandemic. It, it really just started uh, when all the, the shit hit the fan. And um, yeah. it's, it's, uh, I've done lots of bands. I, I'm primarily a drummer. This is actually uh, the first project that I'm, I'm fronting uh, on my own and that I'm actually uh, uh, writing like most of the material. So uh, that's a first. Yeah, I mean, I, for a first time doing the, the vocals, I got to say, you're doing pretty good like how long did it take for you to uh to really hone your skills as a vocalist yeah well i guess it's it's been about uh, two years now of like hard work you know i mean i think over the years this this goes back many years actually because um it, if we take it back to the roots of uh, what started all of this is that uh it was really meant to develop my vocals because, um, as you might know, I also play in Skullfist. And for years, uh, Zach was harping on me about learning to sing so I could do the backups. And I was always like, yeah, 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 I'll do it one day. And I, I would start learning, but then I would I would get discouraged. It was really hard for me, and I, I would just put it off. So it, it really came down to me just making that decision and being like, okay, enough's enough. It's been years. I'm going to do this. I'm going to put in the time and, and put in the work. So, uh, yeah, it's it's been about two years of, uh, you know, a uh, couple hours every day and, uh, you know, five, six days a week. So that's where I'm at right now. I'm still I'm still at the beginning of my journey, you know. Right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, to be fair, like vocals in terms of learning how to sing, how to do anything regarding your voice, it takes years of practice regardless. And you know, given the fact that you start in the pandemic, you clearly got the time on your hands, right? So it, it yeah. definitely seemed like the best time. But what was your singing voice like before that? Uh, did you have any interest in singing before that? Or was this just something that you were kind of pushed into? Uh, no, I, I think I always wanted to, but uh, I, I really struggled with my voice. It was, uh, it was very deep and uh, I had trouble hitting the higher registers that I needed to do for, for this type of music. Right. Um, and it was really just a, um, a gradual, uh, thing of me, uh, realizing the kind of technique that I had to do, uh, to be able to achieve that. So, yeah, it's, it's been a thing and it, it was, um, uh, I think I also had to change my attitude about singing for some reason. I thought that like, Oh yeah, I'm just going to learn how to sing and it's going to come easy and I think we all know that nothing in life comes easy. Nope. So when, no. when I started to apply the same discipline that I have towards drumming, towards singing, then that's when I really started to see like some results. And that's pretty good to hear because again, like you're for a first time doing singing and fronting, you're actually doing pretty good for that uh, in terms of this project. But well, uh, thank you. <laughs> you're very welcome. So your other band, Skullfist, uh, one would argue that it's very 80s inspired, which I believe mm. I, I think everybody would 
agree with uh, in terms of the songwriting and as well as the production, which we'll get into production in a bit. But listening through Skullfist's back catalog, it's clear that there's also a sense of the modern metal playing uh, that's playing a role in the inspiration for the songwriting. Meanwhile, with Thunderer, you seem to have gone full-blown 80s hair, Motley Crue cocaine, backstage Georgie levels of 80s metal. Uh, so also the fact that, uh, on top of the fact that we, as we discussed, you're now performing vocals for this project, what was the inspiration for wanting to dive further into the 80s world in the 2020s? Well, I think the thing with Skullfist is it's really Zach's baby. Um, mm-hmm. It always has been his band, and uh, as a, as a supporting band member, I'm there to push his uh, musical vision. So uh, the only writing I've ever done has has been like drum parts or like drum ideas in in terms of that, and uh, that's kind of how it's been through my whole drumming career. Um, so I think the difference with this project is that uh, I was writing lyrics for the first time, and I was writing mm-hmm. melodies and like full song arrangements. I even composed some songs on the piano and on the synth, which is, it was all completely new to me. And I have to admit when it started, I, I really didn't have um, an idea what the final product was going to look like. So uh, me, me and Johnny were, were just writing these songs together. And, uh, you know, uh, after a while, the music kind of just starts to take form on its own. And it kind of like, goes its own direction and you're just there kind of watching it uh, unfold. Um, so I, I think uh, Thunderer has been great because I've been able to put my personality into uh, the music. And uh, I guess that shines through. I mean, not that I'm like a cocaine head and, uh, you know, banging <laughs> chicks all the time, but <laughs> I think it definitely shows what I think about. Um, it shows how I, I view life in, in, a, in a very wild and, and fun way. Um, like follow your dreams, don't give up, those kinds of things. I think those are all like big, big themes in, in the Thunderer album. So, and obviously me, me and Johnny are both super, super influenced by, uh, by 80s music. We just love 80s rock and metal. So there's, uh, there's no hiding it. It's, uh, it's definitely shining through. And wow, I was assuming something completely different. I'll be completely us because I was Mm. assuming it was because given the timeline starting in 2020, I figured it's because 2020 makes one look back to a time when the biggest problem really was bad hair, uh, nuclear catastrophe and the Soviet Union. Wait, that's 2022. (laughs) Never mind. But (laughs) I, th- this is this is not going very far. Anyway, so but with the uh, 80s songwriting also comes 80s style production and mixing. Was having that trait to the music very important for this project to avoid the metal approach, the modern metal approach of mm. VSTs, sampled drums, mm. and autotune? Absolutely. I think it was, that was definitely the direction we wanted to go. We wanted a natural sound we didn't want to uh, quantize the drums we didn't want to pitch correct we wanted to be like okay yeah maybe there's some uh, everything's not perfect yeah but we we want like the feeling to come across so it was a combination of that but also by default because we did all of the tracking ourselves and we are not accomplished engineers whatsoever this was uh also a learning process in that manner because we were buying equipment for the first time we were switching to 
like a full digital setup for the first time. We used to use these old eight tracks when we would track demos, me and Johnny. So we're very old school that way. It was, mm -hmm. uh, it was really, uh, but we had a lot of time on our hands because of the pandemic. So we were like, okay, well, let, let's, let's do it this way. And, uh, and I so I think by default, that, I also guarantee that many studios aren't going to be open during a pandemic either. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of them were closed in the beginning, you know, because everyone was freaking out. But uh, yeah, it was it was by default because we, we don't we don't know how to do the studio tricks. So it was like, OK, well, this is the track. And it's like, I don't know how to edit that. So we, we're just going to have to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, see, that is the 80s mentality right there for recording. You can't. So how do we edit this? Oh, you got to snip, snip, snip the entire freaking tape. OK, let's track yeah. again yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and hope for the best. Pray to God we don't screw up the tape either, because that's more money down the drain. Oh, my God. So, but all of this was based, uh, it's all, it's digital, obviously, but live drums, mm. live amped guitars. There was, how many VSTs did you end up using on, on Fired Up? Dude, I, I don't even really know what a VST is, to tell you the truth. I feel like I know what it is, but I can't think of what it actually uh, it, is at this uh, moment. I, I trying to think of what the acronym actually is, but it's basically did uh, plugins. So, uh, so like, uh, stocky. Oh yeah. The, for like guitars and stuff. No. Yeah. We didn't do any of that. We're like, it's a Marshall cab and a Marshall amp with a freaking 57 on it, you know, mm -hmm. and, and that's it. Um, we, we tracked everything in our, uh, in our rehearsal space. So it's, um, yeah, I mean, it is what it is. Um, I learned how to comp drums for the first time, which is something I always wanted to do, um, mm. which was really cool because then I could, I could really go into each take and be like, oh no, I like that fill better. I'm, you know, I'm going to put that one in there. So I think in the past, I've always had engineers comping my drums, which is cool. Like they know what they're doing, but, um, uh, mm. so it's different when you're doing it yourself, you can be, uh, you can spend a little bit more time and, and I think get more of what you want. And with the pandemic kind of winding down, not entirely, but kind of winding down to the point we're actually able to go into studios again. Do you think you'll do the at-home recording thing again? Uh, I think I want to go into a nice studio. I mean, yeah. in the spirit, <laughs> in the spirit of doing it the proper '80s way, I think I want to go into a nice studio and just go over the top with it. <laughs> and be like, yeah, I want like a giant room for the drums. And like, yeah, I, I want to yes. go all out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because it's it's all fun and everything doing it the way that we did. And it was cool for the first mm -hmm. record. But you just can't get those really amazing sounds that way. I mean, especially for drums, you you need that good room with like, you know, I want I want to run through one of those gigantic boards, you know, like the big SSL consoles right that cost like half a million dollars you know i want to run through that right okay uh and because obviously the at-home recording stuff is still kind of still pretty new to you uh given the fact that you only really started back in 2020 um mm. for the mixing because again this has a very 80s sound to it who did you get to mix the album yeah so for the mixing we did get a professional to to do the mixing and, and the mastering also um, so the mixing was done by a dude named Chris Snow and, um, he, uh, works, uh, well, the studio is closed now, unfortunately, but it was the same studio where we were doing the new Skullfist record, which was also happening during this same time. So everything was kind of tying in, like we were already tracking 
at Vespa Studios, the, the studio. And um, so it was very easy for us to to get him to mix to mix it. And then uh, Harry Hess from Harem Scarum uh, did the mastering, which is really cool. <laughs> okay, and you said you worked with them before for Skullfist, yeah? Yeah, yeah. We've done uh, three Skullfist records there now. At have this you, particular uh, studio. Well, have you have you also worked with them for your other project, Obscura? Or Pardon was me? that a complete? Have you worked with them for Obscura as well, or was that a, did that require a completely different approach? You mean for Thunderer? Oh, sorry, I, I'm saying your mm-hmm. other band names completely incorrectly because I'm an idiot. Uh, <laughs> Opurus, I meant to say. Oh, oh, Opurus. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. It's a completely <laughs> different name. It's okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, no, that's, uh, we, we did that one, uh, in Montreal, um, with, with a different dude who's kind of like more versed in like power metal thingies. Cause that, that one's got like a, the way more like generic, uh, like power metal sound, you know, I don't love it. It's, it's okay. Well, generic, if you consider a full-time cellist part of the lineup as generic power metal, but yeah. sure, fine. <laughs> I see I see how it is. Don't worry. <laughs> there are totally no power metal listeners listening to this. Okay, so, but going back, well, going back to uh, Thunderer's debut album, Fire It Up, it has plenty mm. of, as we discussed, it has plenty of familiarity with Skullfist, but also kind of has a bit of a heavier tinge to it. Like, for exa- if, say, for example, Skullfist is Motley Crue and Iron Maiden, not exactly, just roll with me, bit of improv, then mm. Thunderer is Judas Priest and Guns N' Roses. So how much of a different mm. approach to songwriting was it for this album compared to your work with Skullfist? Yeah, I think uh, you're right. We uh, we kind of go wider on spectrum on on both sides. So there are some tunes that are faster than um, than Skullfist stuff, and there are tunes that are slower and, and like more 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 mellow. Um, so we we kind of widened it up. I think because uh, it was a new project and we didn't have really any particular thing in mind it really opened up the, the imagination to do whatever we wanted. And uh, that was the beauty about this project also is that we weren't um, kind of like restrained by um, the ideas of, of, um, of a songwriter already, you know, we, me and Johnny were just kind of going, going into it. It's like, I had drum parts, you know, I had drum songs. So I was like, okay, this is like the beat for the verse. This is the beat for the chorus. And then like, I was kind of like, imagining some riffs in my head but then what johnny played to it was not at all what i was imagining so then we just went from there and it it just created itself um but i like the comparison you made with the priest and uh and guns and roses i've yeah i've never thought of guns and roses but i guess i guess we are yeah we're pretty influenced by that too yeah yeah it's good to hear because again yeah um with with the two bands they have obviously similar uh origins and similar influences but again, like they sound similar, but very different at the same time. And I think that's something mm. that I think new listeners might actually really enjoy as well as fans of Skullfest, uh, who maybe are look, who maybe are also looking for, you know, a bit of a fresh take on the 80s style, which if I remember correctly mm. from the, from the promo I got for Fire It Up, that was something that you were uh, striving for, or was it something that just ended up coming up? No, it's, it's good. You're absolutely right. And I'm, I'm, really glad that the album turned out the way it did because in the beginning i i gotta say i was a bit worried that it would come out sounding too much like skull fist um mm-hmm. but then as we were writing the songs and then i think 
the clear decision, I think, was when uh, I decided that we would add synth on the whole record. And I think that added another element to it, which was like, okay, this is starting to become very different from Skullfist. But obviously, there is still a lot of similarities. So it's great because we've been getting a really good response from our Skullfist fans who are super supportive about the project. So they can, most of them can appreciate and understand what we're doing, but it also opens up um, uh, for, for new fans to, to come in and, and discover something. So, yeah, I think it, it's a good balance that we got. And here's a question I mostly have, mostly because, uh, again, like listening to Thunder, I think one of the main things I said in my review of it on the podcast a couple of episodes back was that this is obviously an 80s metal sound in the modern day, which I thought was pretty interesting. And uh, with that in mind, you know, what was there ever a time when you wanted to try implementing modern day aesthetics into your sound or was that completely out of the question? Yeah, I think the modern touch definitely comes from the mixing, um, mm-hmm. because like as much well, as we I want, more, I, I meant more with like songwriting, because obviously nowadays, you know, everybody loves their gents and their weedies. Mm. Uh, obviously, you don't want to implement gent into your sound. I'm assuming, but uh, like when it comes to like the modern metal songwriting, it, aside from just mixing and mastering, or even uh, special VST bullshit mm. um was that something that ever came up that you wanted to maybe implement into your music at some point whether it is with thunderer or uh, mm. Opirus and uh, mm. Skullfist? i think songwriting wise i don't think i ever thought of that i think mm-hmm. um it was just uh freedom to do what i wanted to do you know songwriting wise which was great um there are some like uh prog rock elements thrown in there I'm a big prog rock fan, like 70s prog. I love, mm. um, and I'm a big uh, fan of synths and, and just keyboards in general. So um, I think, you know, you can hear those elements in in the record. But yeah, I don't think I ever thought like, oh, we need to do this because this is like the trend or anything. Like that. I, I, to be honest, I don't even know what the trends are right now. Like I, I I'm pretty bad with keeping up with new music, you know, so. Uh, hey, what if we did Iron Maiden, but we made our vocalists sound like T-Pain? How does that sound, guys? Uh, <laughs> I don't think that would go well. <laughs> I mean, but having said that, I, w- I would be curious to work with a producer who would be like, oh, no, here, we got to do like this. This is like really in right now. Like, hmm. I mean, I, I'd, be, I'd be down for that, you know, like maybe he would have an idea that like, I don't know. Like maybe it's like a a certain like reverb on the vocal or something that's just makes it sound more like today. And uh, I mean, I I think that could be cool as long as it sounds good. You know? (laughs) Yeah. I think that actually would be an interesting thing to to hear though, is uh, because obviously again, like your music is very eighties inspired. And honestly, if you plopped it back in the eighties, no one would would be able to tell the fucking difference. But I feel like if we, if modern elements were implemented into your sound, not saying you have to, but mm. if that was the case, I feel like that actually would create something that that is totally more unique than what we already have with Thunderer. Uh, and I would be I would yeah. be very interested personally to see what that would come up with. I can't speak for uh, for the fans of Skull Fist and Thunderer, but who knows? Who knows, really? No, no, it could be cool. Like, it would, like with the touch of like 
I don't know, some of these new bands like Black Veil Brides or stuff like that, where they're like, like, but like production wise, they're like, it's insane. There's like all kinds of stuff going on in there, you know? So, I mean, yeah, I mean, maybe a hint of that could be cool, but. Who knows? <laughs> well, if you can find a way to work it into the music and still, you know, keep its identity, keep its, uh, you know, quality. Because mm-hmm. I know the big the big critique of modern music nowadays is that the humanity is mostly taken out of it. And yeah. that, yeah. and you know, I can't disagree with that. Even with that, yeah, I would still love to see what you what you guys would end up doing with modern uh, modern metal mm-hmm. elements into this very this unique sound. Um, but so going back to going back to, to fire it up, you said talking about the album in that promo that uh, lyrically, the album is meant to inspire a life journey, quote, an adventure with friends, motorcycles, romance, danger and victory. So can you expand upon that? Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, I think of it as because this band has been um, kind of symbolic to the attitude that I have towards life. Um, I think another, uh, a big motivator for me uh, when I decided to, you know, take on singing and, you know, become a front man and do, and do this whole thing was that I was reading this book by uh, Tim Ferriss. It's called the four hour work week, kind of a cool book, but um, there's a thing there's a part where he talks about the importance of having like an impossible goal in your life. Like you should always be striving to do something impossible. And that really hit home for me. And I think for a long time, I did have an impossible goal in my life, you know, to like aspiring to be a heavy metal drummer, like um, growing up in the countryside and stuff like that. But I think more or less, I've kind of like realized that goal. And um, I think maybe I didn't, I didn't realize that I needed another like impossible thing to, to take on. So that was another huge motivator for me that I was going to make this because for me at the time, I couldn't even really fathom that I would be able to pull it off or, you know, do it live, for example, or, or even do the recording. So it it all seemed so um, far away and, and imaginary to me. So I think it's taking like that, type of attitude towards life and um and yeah basically just uh, just following your dreams um living wild uh having adventures i'm a big fan of adventures <laughs> um uh, you know and uh, and romance as well um i've had many romantic adventures that tie in with music and uh, uh i don't know it's kind of been the way that i've I'd like to live my life. And uh, if I can somehow like communicate that through the music and then inspire someone to be like, Oh, I want, I want to do something like this, you know? Uh, Yeah. If I can inspire someone to be like, you know, whatever it may be, like maybe someone's been thinking about doing something for years, but they don't want to do it because of, you know, so-and-so reasons or whatever. Sometimes you just got to dive right in and then you don't know where, where that will take you. Right. So yeah, I I'm hoping that people can, can uh, communicate with that message. I hope so too, because that is something that, I mean, even though we are in a pandemic and obviously the world is kind of going to shit right now, uh, if anybody's been following the news. Um, but I do feel like, yeah, going at being able to go on an adventure of some kind in your own life, I think is very important nowadays. Um, and who knows who knows, maybe, 
Maybe people will go on their own adventures. Maybe they'll tag you on Instagram about their adventures saying, fire it up. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? But uh, so with, but obviously uh, with Thunder and with Skullfist and getting the name again, Opurus, so I don't mess it up again. Um, <laughs> with all these projects you're that you're a part of, what is the future uh, of these projects? Uh, well, uh, with Skullfist, we have a new record that is coming out next month. Um, so that's very exciting. We have a European tour in May um, and then some festivals in, uh, in the summer. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's, uh, that's looking really good. Uh, should be pretty busy. Um, and then with Thunderer, we have uh, a European tour in June to push the record and uh we have some stuff that's not announced yet that uh but it's a uh, we have some festivals coming up also uh we have two shows in mexico uh with udo uh in june also which is going to be amazing i can't wait to do those um those are going to be killer and um operas is uh kind of quiet right now we're actually going through some member changes. Uh, yeah. The, the cello player is no longer uh, in the band. Uh, yeah, actually kind of it's uh, the band is in a restructuring phase right now Whoa. as they've, they've lost a few members. Yeah. Yeah. So was this, pre- was this previously announced or are you, is this, uh, this is, the first this time? is top secret, bro. So yeah, this is uh, sealed. just for your show. <laughs> Woo! Metal robot exclusive people. <laughs> Tune in. Um, okay. Wow. That is in. That's insane. Okay. So, mm-hmm. but uh, so obviously, even though there's is a lineup change, um, is there anything in the works, or is it you're just dealing with this first, putting out this fire, and then uh, coming I back think, to it later? Yeah, I think my priorities has shifted towards uh, the the more that I've been doing Thunderer, the more I've been immersed in it, and uh, and I can't help but feel more attachment to it because it just feels more personal. I mean, I guess it's because um, I'm doing, you know, more of the writing. So um, I've never, that's a new feeling for me. I've always been like a sporting band member as a drummer. So that's, uh, that's a new feeling for me. And I re- I'm really liking it. Uh, I think my focus is going to shift more towards just Thunderer and Skullfist. Uh, and then maybe some some one-off projects or, you know, I'm always working on projects because they're kind of like rotating projects, you know, do album cycles and then like try something else. But uh, I think uh, the end game is, uh, yeah, I definitely want to keep pushing Thunderer and do another record, see how that goes. Um, but I definitely, you know, of course, keep keep doing Skullfist. It's, it's been a very long time with that band now mm-hmm. and, and I love it. So, um, yeah. I don't want that to stop. I, in a perfect world, I would like to be able to juggle uh, all of the projects that, that I want to do and uh, kind of have the control over the scheduling so that not too many things clash. You know, uh, I look, I really look up to drummers who can do that, you know, like uh, guys like Gene Hoagland or uh, um, any like any like big players uh, who are doing like multiple like giant bands you know i i love seeing that um it's just that they can it just goes to show that there's no limits on on what you can do you know mm-hmm. if you really want to do different things then you can that's good and uh, i i really really want to know this then because you've got so many projects 
Do you also happen to have a day job on top of all that, or are you sane enough to be able to not not burden yourself with too much work? Well, I'm pretty fortunate. My my day job is really just uh, me uh, running my my own record label. So congratulations! It's just a, yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's a small label, but I've been doing it for a long time now, and it's it ties in with with music and stuff, obviously. So I can do like I'll throw in like I do some booking, I do some uh, I promote shows. Uh, I do some management. So yeah, it, it all goes in together. It's just really supporting the dream of, of becoming a, a top musician. Right. So that's fantastic to hear because I was, I was kind of worried for a second. They're like, yeah, we're doing three bands. So we're touring Europe, to, <laughs> going to shows in Mexico. Oh, by the way, I'm also working as a janitor. What? Yeah. The fuck? <laughs> How? <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> Uh, that would have that would have been very interesting though to find out. But uh, so with mm. that in mind, I have uh, one last question for you, and it's mm. a very important question. I would say in regards to everything that we've talked about here, uh, metal robot fans know exactly what I'm talking about here. This question is pretty simple yet very very important. If you could be any cereal box character, who would you be? Oh, cereal box character. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm trying to think. Wants well, to know here, JJ. Come on, what's your yeah, answer? Yeah. I I really liked the uh, corn pops when I was a kid. I think that was probably my favorite cereal. But I don't think that they had like a, a mascot. Guy, yeah, I'm trying right? to think about that. Too. I don't think they had a mascot. No, someone will probably correct me, but I don't remember a mascot with corn pops. Do you know what I saw in the grocery store the other day? It was hilarious. I sent this to Johnny because uh, he he just spent the summer in Mexico and. Uh, they had so you know how there's cinnamon toast crunch. Do you guys have that over there in Canada? Yeah. yeah. Are you in Canada too? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Fair okay. enough. I see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, we have, so, we, have, we have it here, of course. Yeah, yeah. So they, I saw a box of cinnamon toast crunch, but it was cinnamon cinnamon toast churros, and I was like, no way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was so tempted to buy it. I was like, I didn't, but I sent Johnny a photo. I was like, oh man, this is hilarious. But, That's uh, amazing. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, as far as the character, I don't know. I, 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 I guess I would be a corn pop because they don't have a mascot. So. <laughs> that's a different answer okay i like it i like it very much so uh so jj thank you so much for coming on the podcast uh if there's anything you want to shout out that you're up to right now anything you want to tell tell the metal robot listeners uh let let it be known tell us what's going on yeah we, we uh, just did our album release show actually uh here in toronto over the weekend and that was a we also live streamed it so we had uh, multicam and full mixed audio. So I know a lot of people, it wasn't a free stream. So a lot of people mm. did, didn't tune in. Uh, so just for everybody that did miss it, we are going to mix the audio and then uh, release the footage in a couple of weeks. So I think that should be really cool. So yeah, if anyone uh, was hoping to catch the show or the stream and missed it, we're going we're gonna to post that. And yeah, for, uh, since we're talking about Canada, we have a very cool uh, Canadian festival announcement coming up um, in the next couple of weeks as well. That was JJ Tartaglia of Thunderverse, Skullfist, and Opirus. Thunderverse Fire It Up is available now on all streaming platforms. If you like your 80s music, unapologetic, and also somehow Canadian at the same time, I don't know how you can be Canadian and also be unapologetic. 
haha the puns are always inherent, then check it out along with Skullfist through the link in the podcast description. All right, don't go anywhere. News of the week coming right up on the Metal Robot Podcast. This week's Metal News Recap is brought to you by My Sanity. Everything is so depressing! Why? To stay up to date with the latest in the metal scene, check out TheMetalRobot.com for videos, reviews, press, and so much more. Now, back into the podcast. Presented by TheMetalRobot.com, this is MRP News. You know what I'm surprised by this week? There's not a lot of metal news in Ukraine uh, from this week. It seems that uh, the past few weeks, we've heard nothing but Ukrainian, uh, Ukrainian-related uh, news in terms of metal because of the war that's going on. I mean, this week, Nergal did announce that behemoth shows in Russia and Ukraine are canceled, publicly showing support for Ukraine and condemning the attacks in Russia. But that's basically it. Next week, I wouldn't be surprised if there were no stories whatsoever coming out of the metal scene. Now, that's not to say that the attacks are done or that the war is over. It is still going on. And obviously, you know my position on the war. You know that I think that Putin's a fucking idiot and a fucking maniac. And we need to show support for Ukraine and make sure that we... That we help out in any way that we can. And if you do want to show support to Ukraine, you want to help them out, uh, you can check the link that is in the podcast description where I have provided, like the past few episodes, the link to the places where you can support Ukraine. But with that out of the way, let's get into this week's metal news. First up, Dolly Parton and the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Now, if you weren't aware, a few days ago, the country star made a public announcement regarding her nomination as one of the 2022 inductees, stating that she wishes to bow out of the nomination. Posting her statement on her Instagram, quote, I don't feel that I have earned that right. I really do not want folks to be split because of me, so I must respectfully bow out. A statement that's seen virtually universal praise, including Reich Faulkner, who's also an inductee, who called the move a, quote, classy move. Now, Miss Parton is not the only person to have ever rejected a nomination from the Hall of Fame over the years, though I think she may be one of the few who did it as nicely as she did. The Sex Pistols immediately come to mind. So, one would hope that with this, the good fellas at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame would appreciate her wishes and respect her desire to not participate in the vote and decide to take her name out of the ballot and not keep her in. I couldn't even say that with a straight face. What do you think the Hall of Fame are? A charity for puppies and battle jackets? Of course they're going to keep her name in the ballot. Because the Hall of Fame is nothing if not respectful of artists' wishes. Side note, if that's, if that's not the most accurate statement of the music industry in general, I don't know what is. So yeah, the Hall of Fame is still going to keep her name in the ballot, saying in a statement on their socials, quote, In addition to her incredible talent as an artist, her humility is another reason Dolly is a beloved icon by millions of fans around the world. I mean, are you surprised? This is the same people who... Even while they were telling the Hall of Fame to eat shit and die, the Sex Pistols were still inducted. I shit thee not. Inducted in 06 alongside Black Sabbath, who, fun tidbit, also wanted out of this shit. Are you surprised yet? Now, on one hand, the artists never really had a say in getting nominated to begin with, which is pretty dumb considering even the Oscars don't do that. When you have less integrity than the fucking Oscars, you're kind of a piece of shit, just saying. 
But fine. They pick random artists based on a certain criteria and then put them in the running. The bands don't submit. They don't have to submit if they don't want to. Uh, they just get in their name in the ballots if they fill the criteria decided by the museum. Fine. That's how it works. It's dumb, but that's how it is. However, if the artists want out of the nominations and they don't want to be inducted into your fucking museum, you bet your ass they should have a fucking say. Nominations are still getting voted on, so if you want to vote for whatever reason, you can. But what I want to know from you is, what are your thoughts on this? I've said my piece on the subject, but I'm curious to know what you think. Do you think Dolly should be able to pull out of the nomination? Or no, do the fans have more of a say here? Send me a tweet at the Metal Robot. Let me know. You guys want to buy some drugs? <laughs> <laughs> Guess what? Tool's back with another music video. The first to be added to their collection of videos in 15 years. The song that gets this treatment is their song Opiate, although this is a 30th anniversary version, so they're calling it Opiate Squared. Original name, I know. The music video is actually a 10-minute short film, but you can find the 3-minute clip they posted on YouTube. Fair warning though, it's a Tool music video so Tool that your brain might have an aneurysm just watching it. I had a look and I was too stoned to watch it further while I was sober. Oh yes, it's one of those videos. You can find the video linked in the podcast description. This also comes with the news that you won't have to wait too long for some new material from the band. Well, at least we won't be waiting 13 years like last time, because Danny Carey said speaking with Cleveland Scene that the band has some leftover material from Fear Inoculum, the band's 2019 album, and they already have a head start on three or four songs. Well, let's hope it doesn't take 13 years this time. If it takes 20 years, that's just the band being really cheeky, and we'll just set them on fire. But speaking of videos, Kanye West is in hot water right now for his video. Don't click away. I can feel you slowly searching for the latest Joe Rogan podcast. Get your ass back here and pay attention. I promise this has a purpose here. Now, the reason we're talking about the overly clingy rapper's video, Hurricane, is because of a guy named Dennis Forkas. If that name rings a bell, then you probably also know that he's a cover artist that's worked with some of the best dark metal bands. Specific works to pull from include Behemoth's The Satanist and Thrice Woven by Wolves in the Throne Room. I think I must say, he's a really talented dude. Well, it turns out Kanye West's team thought so too, because there's one specific scene in that Hurricane video that looks oddly familiar, almost like another piece of Dennis's called Hortus Aureus, which features a platform with an arch. Kinda looks Egyptian-made, maybe Greek. Some trees on top of the platform as well, a fire pot in the center, and beneath, a large, scaly dragon holding it up. Wait, didn't that scene in the Hurricane video also feature a platform with some trees on top, a fire pot in the center, and a large scaly dragon holding it up from underneath? I mean, there's no arch, but there is Greek pillars on top of the platform, which is still fairly close. So, for obvious reasons, Dennis is not happy. Though you know what, I wouldn't be happy either if Kanye West's team tried to replicate my work and still ended up sucking at it. But when Dennis called them out, he actually chose not to point the finger at Kanye himself, but at his team, and going on to say, quote, One would expect at least some measure of ethics, quality control, and respect from a popular artist of his renown. You know, Dennis has a point. Usually when someone is unhinged and has an unhealthy obsession with a comedian nailing their wife, they tend to think only clear and sane thoughts. 
Now, no charges have been placed at the time of recording this podcast, but if he does place charges, I feel confident that Dennis Forkus would be living on that platform that he painted. It's a dream house, perhaps. Who cares? He'd be able to afford it. And finally, let's give an update on the Marilyn Manson story that's somehow still ongoing. I still don't know exactly how that's possible. But before I start, let me play you this clip. I am not scared. I am sad because this is how this is how it works. This is this is what pretty much every survivor that that it tries to expose uh, someone in a position of power uh, goes through. I am not scared. That's the voice of Evan Rachel Wood speaking on The View about Marilyn Manson, whose real name is Brian Warner, and also his defamation lawsuit against her. Now, we covered a bit of this story last episode, which you can check that out afterwards, but basically, Warner filed a lawsuit claiming a bunch of insane shit, including that she forged an FBI letter when she was outing him as the monster that we kind of just assumed that he was already, but we just wanted to pretend that it was an act, apparently. But as you heard, she's not backing down and spoke on The View earlier this week about it, but also brought attention to the timing of the lawsuit. I'm very confident that I had the truth on my side and that, and that the truth will come out and, you know, that this is, you know, clearly timed before the documentary and, mm -hmm. you know, for, for this is the reason. Now, it's a bit tough to say whether she's explicitly claiming that the lawsuit was filed because Warner got scared of the documentary Phoenix Rising that came out on HBO on the 15th of March. But come on, the timing is a little suspicious. The only way it could be more suspicious is if the lawsuit said in big red letters, I swear I didn't sue because of your fake documentary. Now, because the case is still ongoing, she obviously can't talk too much about the case. But she did want to end her answer in that same interview with this statement. I'm not doing this to, to clear my name. I'm doing this to protect people. I'm, I'm doing this to, to, to sound the alarm that there is a dangerous person out there and I don't, I don't want anybody getting near him, you know? And so people can think whatever they want about me. I have to let the legal process run its course and, you know, I'm, I'm steady as a rock. The documentary Phoenix Rising is out now on HBO Max. You can check it out for yourself if you have a subscription, but the story actually doesn't even end here. There was also news this week that Warner's ex-assistant Ashley Walters wasn't able to participate in the documentary because Warner allegedly threatened retaliation if she did, which is pretty fucked and honestly I'm not surprised. But also, while all this was happening, a petition was getting passed around to remove Marilyn Manson's heart-shaped glasses video from YouTube. If you don't know why, it's because that video is what features the sexual assault that Evan Rachel Wood was talking about, one of them at least. The petition reads, quote, According to Evan Rachel Wood, Marilyn Manson raped Evan by penetration during filming which was not planned, and while she was under the influence and this is shown in the video. The petition needs 35,000 signatures, however, at the time of recording this, it's only just above 33,000. I'll provide the link in the sources document that can be found in the description if you want to provide a signature, which I think you should. Because if nothing else, even if for whatever reason you agree with Marilyn Manson, first off, why? But second, if even if you do, YouTube is the kind of platform that's willing to demonetize goat whore music videos because it's goat whore. So I'm pretty sure that this same platform would be setting their entire servers on fire over videos featuring a fucking crime. If nothing else, sign it so that we don't have any hypocrisy. 
And that calls it for the Metal News Recap. Jeez, what a fucking story to end on. God, this segment is so depressing. Once again, all the links to everything I talked about in this segment can be found in my sources document, which can be found in the podcast description. You can also check out themetalrobot.com for more news and press that can be found throughout the week. All right, coming up, 15 plus artists making metal music. What is it and why is it such a great idea? You can find out after the break when we speak with the GJ, the founder of this project. This is the Metal Robot Podcast. Looking to stay up to date on all things Metal Robot? No, not really. What? Why? I don't listen to metal. How are you listening to this podcast? I thought it was Joe Rogan. We're going to pretend he didn't say that. Follow the show wherever you tread on social media. Facebook and Twitter. At The Metal Robot. Instagram. At The Dot Metal Robot. You can even join the Metal Robot Discord server. We have fun there. Links to all of that and more in the description of this podcast. Follow now. Ever wanted to take Metal Robot interviews on the go, but had this happen? Dead? I charged this last night! For fuck's sakes! Ah! While we can't solve a bad phone battery, you can take the interviews you love with you wherever on MRP Throwbacks. Be sure to hit save for when you want this on your evening drive to the venue. If you could be any cereal box character... What about that tiger dude? I was gonna say the same thing, actually. (laughs) (laughs) MRP Throwbacks, only on Spotify, SoundCloud, and Apple Podcasts. You're listening to MRP, the Metal Robot Podcast. You gonna guess who that is? You gonna guess? It's me! It's me! That's the song The Right of Lycaon Part 1 on the Metal Robot Podcast, featuring the vocals of the robot with laryngitis, apparently, and Marzio Grave, playing a wicked solo to end the bloody goodness. Now, to be clear, this is not actually my song. I did feature with the vocals, but this is the second single of the project Homiusius, a project featuring 15-plus artists from multiple countries, cultures, and languages spanning across the globe, and a word that features too many O's for its own good. The man behind this ambitious project is Guilherme Adriano, also known as The GJ, and I sat down with him a few days ago to talk all about it and much more. So, here's my talk with Homiusius founder The GJ, Part one. How are we doing today? All right, man. I'm awesome. Thank you. That is fantastic. Welcome to the show. Uh, so for those who aren't aware or have, for whatever reason, been skipping the commercials on the podcast, which, by the way, how dare you, uh, tell everyone uh, who you are, what you do, and what you're about. All right. Well, I am uh, I am the GJ, and I am also Homiusius, and, uh, but that's not my real name, though. Um, <laughs> that would be a pretty weird uh, name, but. <laughs> yeah. So what I do is, uh, what I'm trying to do is I'm, I'm trying to become a producer, right? So I have this name that I'm releasing all sorts of songs that I like to make under, which is the GJ. And under the GJ, I have for now, just one other project, which is Homoyushis, but I intend to have lots and lots more. Uh, but the idea under the GJ is that it, it started as like, a way of me finally being able to record and make all the sorts of uh, songs and and music that I always wanted to do, but never was able, w- but w- was never able to, because I never, you know, had the gear to record or anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then, yeah, basically the GJ is like my super uh, multi-genre musical project that I wish to extend to infinity and beyond. That's, I mean, so far you're doing pretty good. I mean, 
thing from what the tagline was like 15 plus artists you've already got. Uh, and yeah. that's, that's pretty amazing. I mean, I, I know I'm one of them, which might, whatever, but, <laughs> <laughs> but 15 plus artists in general, that's a lot of people involved with this project. How did you end up getting all yeah. these people together? Yeah. It's funny because, uh, that was not the intention whatsoever. Uh, so I'm actually from Brazil and back in Brazil, I had a new metal band. We had a couple of songs and we played lots of covers. And what I always wanted to do was I wanted to make like our own songs. I didn't want to play any covers. So I just wanted to make a bunch of songs and go to recording. But then, you mm -hmm. know, you get, you get a difference of opinion with this guy and then you don't really align with the musical taste of that guy. So I ended up, we ended up splitting the band and I never really got to record what I really wanted. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, then, uh, my wife and I, we got to the U S and I was like, you know what, now I'm going to record music. I'm going to make music. Uh, so I need people. And then I started looking for people, but then, you know, getting the rooms to, to rehearse in, getting the people with the gear, getting to align everyone on the same, uh, musical taste and everything. It was a nightmare. So I was like, you know what, fuck it. I'll do it myself. I just want to do a one. I just want to be like a one man band and I want to do record. I want to record everything, track everything, do vocals and stuff. So then I started doing that, but then I found something out, you know, I can't do vocals. I can't <laughs> fucking do vocals. I cannot sing. I, I tried screaming. I, I tried growling. I tried many things, but I hurt my voice so badly that I was like, you know, fuck this. I cannot do vocals. I'm oh. going to need a vocalist. So I had one song, Lilium, uh, mm -hmm. which I had been working for a very long time on, you know, just like step by step building it, making it nicely. And then I just reached out in a Facebook community. I was like, hey, guys, um, a metal vocalist, whatever on Facebook. Hey, guys, uh, who wants to do vocals on this track? And then this guy from Mexico reached out. I was like, all right, here's the track. Do your vocals. He sent me the vocals and I mixed it. And I was like, whoa, mind blowing. Sounds awesome. That is and great to hear. And that was when, oh, look, my dog is here now. So yeah. that was, yeah, I can't pick her up right now because this thing is so short and it's connected to my <laughs> monitor. If I move, things come down. That's uh, all good. It's all good. Yeah. And so I sent the track. He sent me the vocals. I mixed it all. And it sounded so good, uh, even though the demo was really shitty because I, I did everything on my iPhone and on, on my iPad back then. But just the mix and the, the, the writing, the song and the vocals, everything was, one, fun. Two, it sounded pretty good. And then thirdly, when I posted on my YouTube channel, it had a very good reception. Like people really liked it. And they were like, hey, dude, you should do more tracks like that. And I was like, all right, that <laughs> is a great idea. So that's basically how Homoyushis came about because it was finally a project where I could do all the songs I wanted and then reach out for people to come, up, uh, come on to and do vocals. And it basically started with one guy, that guy from Mexico who did Lilium. And then I got... Paula from Portugal to do uh, the lyrical vocals on that track. And then there were two. And then I was like, you know what? What if I go with three? And then I reached out for someone else. That was you. And then, and then you said, I was like, oh, interesting. Now that's three. So I just kept on going. And then one by one by one by one, it's now uh, more than 15 people from all different uh, parts of the world and it's been going nicely. Yeah, it's good to hear because I know uh, like when you reached out, this was like, uh, I I remember this specifically, I was on the Gear Gods live stream because I, yeah. I submitted the demo version actually of Faith in the Faceless uh, before that was actually, before that became what it is now. And I remember you were in the chat and the first thing <laughs> I see from you is like, would you like to growl on my symphonic metal track? I'm like, 
Well, sure. Okay, sure. That sounds great. <laughs> I was like, yep. oh, that's this is a new... Pro- I didn't realize that putting my name out there would actually get some recognition of some kind. That's interesting. Who would have <laughs> thought? But so far, yeah, it's because it, since then, it's just ballooned into so many people. Um, uh, but I remember you actually, at some point, you did also mention that the project was almost scrapped. Can you tell me about that? Or am I remembering yeah. something incorrectly? No, no, that's that's right. Yeah, because I got super disappointed at first because I wasn't able to track everything. Uh, I mean, you're an artist. We are both perfectionists, obviously. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't mm-hmm. I wasn't really able to track everything to my liking. Because uh, I was doing everything uh, on my iPad. And um, if you know GarageBand, you know that it is not super dandy uh, DAW uh, for uh, for mixing metal. So no. I, was, I was just trying to do everything for free, right? So I had already gotten uh, the iPad. I had my guitar and it was pretty expensive. I didn't want to buy anything else. So I was trying to do everything on my iP- iPad, on my iPhone with my cheap Ibanez and just like free plugins. And the result was not super stellar. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to leave this alone. Uh, Cause if I try to do something to my liking, it's going to cost a lot of money. I'm just going to leave this project. Uh, mm-hmm. Just let it die, you know? And then uh, my wife was like, nah, you should try, you should try really uh, making it, making it work. So I asked for her permission to buy stuff. And then she said, yes. So I bought a Mac, I bought a guitar and she just left all in the background, but it's true. I have to ask for her permission for buying stuff. And I just bought, I just bought all the gear I needed and then started like really recording, learning, uh, mixing and stuff. And so the project was kept alive. And by the way, um, the GJ, the J on the, the, the GJ stands for her name. That's Jamili. G stands for G as in Guilherme, right? GJ. And because mm-hmm. she helps me with a lot of stuff, uh, melody wise, and just listening to my tracks and telling me if it sounds like shit or it doesn't. So she kind of oversees the whole process. Uh, and also, it's a funny name uh, in Portuguese because it says uh, it, it, it's kind of how Brazilian people pronounce the word G, uh, DJ. We just say <laughs> G, DJ. So it's kind of like a double, a double meaning. But yeah, so she really helped me stay focused and. Uh, the project didn't die. That is fantastic because otherwise, like we wouldn't have gotten uh, Lilium that came out back in February, I believe. And then this month, of course, we had the release of The Right of Lycaon. Uh, which is me. Um, so that, which is honestly, and we've got more coming out as well. Cause again, there's like 15 plus artists. Um, and it's, it's actually really amazing what you're doing here, but I want to go into, because the lyrical themes seem to all kind of connect to each other. And that, seems to come back towards the name of the of the project, Homiusius, which, by the way, I know if anybody is looking in the podcast description, is spelt really fucking funny, but um, it, it, apparently it actually is pronounced Homiusius. So you yeah. posted an explanation along with a pronunciation. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, and <laughs> you and you and you mentioned like what the name, what the word Homiusius was. Can you go yeah. into a bit more detail about that? Like the history behind homiusius, yeah. the word? Yeah, sure. Uh, so first of all, I, I knew that I needed to distinguish this sounds that I was making from the GJ because the GJ is like more playful, uh, chiptune, synthwave, uh, metal, video game stuff. It's It, it doesn't really Doom have like Doom soundtrack, yeah, exactly. Doom so- uh, soundtrack inspired stuff. So with homiusius, I wanted like to have a more specific uh, sound, right? And like... so. Uh, some sort some sort of evilness to it. So I, I knew I needed a better name than the GJ. And mm-hmm. let me bore you a little bit about the history of the name now. Um, sure. When I was younger, because I'm super old right now, uh, 
so when I when I was younger, I was like uh, very much into uh, uh, Christian theology and religion in general, and I read so many uh, theo- theology uh, Christian theology books and all. And this term homoousios always stuck to me because it had a fascinating history. Uh, so homoousios is a is a Christian heresy, uh, and it, and it's only one letter of a difference from the dogma, which is homo. She is something you just take out the I. I don't. I can't pronounce it either. <laughs> uh, but the I in the center of the word is the only difference. Is is what actually got hundreds and hundreds of people persecuted, killed, and exiled. I was like, well, one letter gets people one killed. One letter, really? Yeah, because uh, so homoousius uh, without the I means uh, same nature, same substance, same stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and basically, it was the Trinitarian uh, doctrine. So the Father, the, the 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 Spirit, and the Son were of one nature, one essence. They were homoousios, right? And then the her- heretics came along and said, "No, it's homoousios. They are of a similar nature." So homo homoi, the I means it's of a similar nature. It's of a similar right. substance. So the fa- the Trinity is they're not all equal in equal footing. They are like one is more God than the other, one is less, and, and there's a hierarchy within uh, the Trinity, right? Yeah, so, I'm guessing that yeah that pissed that must have pissed off many of the dude, oh people got killed. People got Jesus. very, very killed dead because of this. And I was like, wow, that's a great term because it's a one letter difference between living and dying. That's a fascinating so that the history of the word fascinated me, right? So that term stuck with me. And then much later on, when I just I lost uh, I lost my faith and all the, the the term sounded interesting because it encapsulated like hatred and and bigotry and how much one can be brainwashed to the point of murdering someone because of a letter. I was like, that's a great term. I'm going to use that. Mm-hmm. So that's the history of the word itself. Now the reason why I decided to use it was uh, because from the beginning I knew that this project was not going to be in one genre of music because one, I cannot write so many songs in one genre. I'm not that skilled. <laughs> so I wanted to explore different genres, like not only death metal, but black metal, symphonic metal, new metal, gent and core and hardcore and punk. And there are so many genres involved and so many songs on the list. So I knew I didn't want to be in, uh, in one genre. Uh, I wanted to be of different genres. And I also knew I didn't want to be in one language, right? Cause the guy from Mexico, uh, like, him singing in Spanish was really evil sounding. It was awesome. And yeah, then, that was definitely like, it, it, it added a new texture to it that I didn't think was like, that, that I didn't even think would have been possible. Because I'm like, this isn't Latin and yet it feels evil. It sounds evil, especially with yeah. the kind of screams he's doing. Yeah. I'm like, that's a great texture. And then when he rolls his R's and like, ratas, you know, I was like, oh, oh, it sounds evil. It really sounds evil. So it, it wasn't, it started in Spanish, but then I said, you know what? just so that more people get into it, add some verses in English. So he added some verses in English. And then the woman from Portugal was like, you know what? Do it in Portuguese. Do all the courses in Portuguese. So the song ended up, it starts in Spanish. It goes to Portuguese, goes back to Spanish, and then goes to English and then ends in, uh, goes to Portuguese and then ends in English. I was like, that's great. It's a, it's a, it's a multi-genre. Let's make it multilingual now. So I'm going to look for people to, to do their uh, lyrics and track their vocals in their own respective languages. You know, I, I don't care how many languages uh, there are in one song. Let's let's make it multi-genre and multilingual, multilingual, multicultural. That's the idea of homoousia. So we are all metalheads, right? We're all musicians, mm-hmm. but we're not the same. Like we're not, we're not, we're made of a similar stuff. 
but we're not yeah, made of the same from, stuff. Yeah, we come from different backgrounds, uh, different musical backgrounds, different, obviously, cultural backgrounds, and we come from different places all across the globe. But at the end of the day, we're all metalheads. We're all human beings. Yep. Uh, one of us is a robot, but that's beside the point. <laughs> uh, we, we've all, like, we all, it, I, I do think that that is definitely a great use of the term. And even though I was telling you this, like, that, I think, is very, very... Uh, inherent with what this project is trying to do. And I thought that was a great use of that term, but I, I kind of want to get into like, who's a part of this project here. Now, obviously with the song William, we have UX and uh, Paula Tennis. Uh, yep. And then when, when we get to the right of Lycaon, there's, it's me. Uh, and then there's Marzio Grave, I think is how you pronounce yeah. his name. But uh, who else can you say is a part of this project? Or uh, is that top secret? Oh no, not at all. Dude, I, I don't know all the names by heart, but so I see here on my chat, there's Yasmin. Uh, she's from France. There's Bruno. He's from, from Brazil. There's Marzio. He's also from Brazil, but he's now living in Hungary. Uh, and then there's Aysam and Zakaria, who are from Morocco. Uh, there's Beatrice from Italy. There's a guy, Yevgen, I think it's his name, is from Austria, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, there's another guy who's been dormant in the chats and I haven't really reached out to him yet, but he's from Myanmar. So there's like people from all over the place, right? And each of them are doing once uh, a song in, in their respective languages, right? And, and basically what I'm doing is I'm giving them a theme and then they, they take the lyrics and melody and then they write whatever they want. It's same thing uh, with it, actually. I just, you know, I gave you a theme, you wrote awesome lyrics. By the way, let me just say, dude, you're a great writer. You are oh, a thank great, you. great writer. Thank you. Uh, and I remember, I remember correctly, I, I think Bruno did the low drones on the Red Light Can too, right? Yeah, yeah. And that was such an accident. I mean, so many of these, so many of the ideas uh, we're all having together just come by, uh, come by by accident because he had posted a video on a random Facebook group. And so it appears on my feed because I follow him of him doing these low drones and I was like, dude, that sounds awesome. How about we use them in a song other than mm -hmm. yours? And he was like, yeah, I'm in. So he did those low drones for your song. And he's also doing low drones for uh, for the DJ. And yeah, it's it's awesome how these things come about because they're totally unplanned. Yeah, because I remember uh, when you sent me the demo for The Right of Like Can, like without, without, before I even had my vocals attached to it, there were no low drones in the end. I mean, there was still like the, the, the little ASMR fucking in meat eating portion that was still there, but yeah, there were no low drones. And I thought that was like, once I could hear it, I was like, Oh, this is yeah. some really nice ear candy, like towards yeah, the yeah. end here. And yeah, it definitely added quite a bit. Uh, and you said you've like, you're following him and, and you got the idea for that. Is he appearing on any more songs in the future? Oh yeah, definitely. He's got like two songs in the making. One of, uh, one, uh, but both of his songs are like, uh, way down the line because, uh, I, I met people in different stages of the project, right? So the people I met first are the people that have the first songs. And mm -hmm. since they're like 21 tracks, you know, if I just decided to release all of them at once as an album or an EP, I'd take forever to release it. I'd just it, be it, like it just a whole year. About. No, it wouldn't happen. I'd probably give up halfway there. So <laughs> I was like, you know what? In, in today's internet streaming culture, people have to, be engaged and, and get to know what the process is, how the processes are going and all. So instead of just, you know, uh, dumping a 21 track EP, I'm just going to release one song every couple of weeks. So this way people uh, are engaged uh, and it's easier to interact and, and grow the community. So his songs hmm. are like way down the line, uh, like October near the end of the year, but he's got two songs uh, in there. 
And so do you. You got another two treks coming because we got the ride true. alike I mean, on part one, two, and three. Yes, part two. Uh, we still, we're, I know part two, like to give it a little behind the scenes eye candy for the uh, ear candy for the Metal Robot listeners here. Uh, yeah, a ride alike on part two is already like the vocals have been recorded. We're still, I'm still waiting on approval from the GJ over here uh, for if those uh, are good to go or if there's any changes, uh, but that should ho- probably be coming down the line soon. And then uh, part three is still in the writing phase, I believe, for the oh, instruments. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's still in the making. How many songs are currently in the writing phase for this project? Because again, like you're doing like a single by single basis. So how many, how many have been written thus far? How many are still being written? Yeah, this is going to cause anxiety to a lot of people, but all of them. (laughs) Oh no! Literally literally all of the songs are in the writing process. All of them, even the one that is uh, due next month, it's still in the writing process. Because here's another thing I noticed that happens to me quite often, and I hate the fact that it happens. I make a song. It's beautiful. It's nice. I release it. A month later, I look back at it and I'm like, dude, I sucked at this. I could have done this better. This should not have been set in stone. So I keep revisiting the ideas. So I was like, you know what? Let me just leave all my sessions open, work on them all at the same time. Because if I have a great idea for this song, maybe I can use that great idea on this one and then on this one and so forth so on so i keep them all open they're all started they they all have the structure imagine a bunch of skeletons right a couple of them have a more meat uh, have more muscle and meat some of them have the nerves already some of them have half of the skin on but basically i'm just creating them all together as as i go so they're not none of them are really finalized I'm really hoping your organization skills are like top notch if you're doing it all at once. Oh, bro. No, no, they're not. No, no. Oh, I feel uh, that. I feel that. Yeah, yeah but how, it's fun. It's fun. How many songs are currently in the writing process right now? Like in terms of instrumentation, how many songs are currently in the process of being made? Yeah, all of them. Yeah. So for, for example, I, I, I just got off a chat with Caleb, I, I think that's how you pronounce his name. Uh, he's doing one of the songs. So what I did is before finishing his song, I finished 10 seconds and I mixed it basically already. So I, he's got like 10 to 20 seconds of a song. I sent it to him. I said, lay down vocals, do whatever you think should be done on those 10 seconds and then send, send it back to me. He did it. Now he sent it back to me. Now I'm putting it all together. And now from what I'm going to hear it, I'm going to keep on writing the song. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to get like feedback and like feel the energy of the vocals and, and get ideas from what they're doing with their voice to keep on writing the song. Right. But do you have a count on how many songs are currently in the process? Oh, like, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. 17. 17? Yeah. All at once. All at once. Yes. Holy I do a little bit. Shit. I do a little I do a little bit here today. I do a little bit on that one two days from now. And then I work like four to five hours on the one that is next to be released. And then I go back and forth. This way, it, it, I don't know. It keeps me engaged, man. It, 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 it works for me. Hey, you know, whatever keeps you engaged, whatever keeps you active. I'm just sitting here and I'm thinking like, because I know what it's like doing like the musical solo project and running the Metal Robot Reviews YouTube channel and now the podcast. Like time management must be yeah. a bitch on your end. Huh? 
Oh, bro, it is. It is. It is a bitch right now. Um, well, adding the fact that also, like, you, I, I'm guessing you're not doing this full time, so you must have like a, a job on the side as well that you're yeah, that you have yeah. to that pays the bills. Jesus, yeah. Christ, fuck. Yeah, this is this is just a, a passion hobby, but yeah, it takes it takes a lot a lot out of me. But I'm I'm okay. I'm okay with it. And right now, uh, my wife and I we are in the process of moving out of this apartment into our house, but our house is still being built. And it keeps mm-hmm. being pushed back and delayed because, you know, shortage supplies and all of that. Right. Uh, so we both kind of gave up trying to have a schedule around the lifestyle we're having right now because I'm working from home. She's working from the office. We're both waiting for the house to be done. And then there's this and there's that. So we're like, you know what? Until we move out to the house, we're not really going to have a fixed schedule. We're just going to do whatever and mm-hmm. just... We're in kind of a limbo right now. So I'm also like my schedule is in a limbo. I don't try to like have a schedule of I should work on music from this hour to this hour on this day to this day. I just work on the music whenever I feel like whenever I have the energy and I have the time. Part one of my sit down with the GJ. Stay tuned for part two in the coming weeks to talk more about homie Eusius, but also dive into Guilherme's faith and why he ended up leaving theology behind. It's actually a really interesting story and that's coming up in a couple of weeks. All right, let's check to see what's coming up next week on the Metal Robot Podcast. You just listened to MRP, the Metal Robot Podcast. All right, the Reign of Fire has begun, which means it's time to give you the tease for next week. I would go all in, balls deep, but the suspense is half the fun. Coming up next week, I sit down with Tom TDW DeWitt to talk about all things TDW and Proggy Boy stuff. I also bring on our good friend Colin Sterling of Thrasher's Paradise to take a look at what albums are on the horizon for the second quarter of 2022. All that and more next week. Thanks for listening to the Metal Robot Podcast. You can follow the show on the internet, YouTube, Metal Robot Reviews, Facebook, and Twitter at the Metal Robot, Instagram at the dot Metal Robot. You can also check out everything Metal Robot on themetalrobot.com for videos, reviews, press, and so much more. I'm Tom McKay. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your favorite podcast, and I'll see you in the mosh pit next time. Have a good night. <laughs> <laughs>